We're going to look at a couple of different passages today, but if you've got Bibles with you, you'll want to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because I want to walk through, we won't read the whole of the passage there, I really encourage you to read it this week in this Easter season as we celebrate resurrection, a very important passage of scripture speaking of the resurrection and its importance and its implications for us in our lives, Um, but we are going to spend time walking through it, so you might just want to have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians Uh, chapter 15. At times I'm also going to just look at Philippians chapter 3, a very familiar passage of scripture here because it's a a pretty significant one for me personally in my life, uh, so I bring it up a lot. But I love that in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says this uh, desire of his heart kind of expressed this way, that I might know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. I think what an incredible thing to declare and, and to speak of in the season of Easter. When in so many ways we're, really, we're focusing and centering in this idea that Christ is risen. And Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first number of verses, Paul begins to share a very creedal-like statement, a clarity of the gospel. And he says, starting in verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance that what I, which I also received. Then he goes into the details, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared. And then Paul goes on to share these first-hand accounts of those who had come into contact with the risen Christ. Who had been risen in bodily form and who dwelt among them. Over the past two, two weeks, or the past number of weeks now, it's more than two, we've been in the season of Easter following the Holy Week and celebrating together the resurrection of Jesus. And we've spent lots of time together talking about the implications of the resurrection for our life today. That because Jesus has the power, has power over death, has risen, our lives here and now can be experienced in the power of the resurrection, that we too can experience resurrection power, resurrection life in our day-to-day lives, in places where we struggle with sin or where we're wrestling through brokenness or where we we need to see God do the, the kinds of things that would be impossible otherwise. We get to lean into the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised him from the dead today. We've celebrated the fact that God is a God of transformation, a God at work who brings life out of death. And on Easter Sunday, we talked lots about a few different stories, like the Red Sea, and how God brought people out of this place where sin and death was bearing down upon them through that sea into resurrection life, into this place of life. And we looked at how beautifully that foreshadowed our Holy Week as we looked at what happened with Jesus on the cross and through Holy Saturday and into Resurrection Sunday. And then we together on Easter Sunday celebrated what that means for me today. That I don't need to, I'm not actually doomed here in this place because of who Jesus is. I can pass through death into life today. Right? But Paul goes on to say in 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are, sorry, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul goes in, in this piece of his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15 to talk about the resurrection and its implications for now, but he really spends some time and talks about its implications for eternity. And that's what I want to talk about today. When we go to our creedal statements, often we, in the, in, in the place of baptism or in our daily office, we'll recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father. Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And when we get near the end of the Apostles' Creed, there's a creedal statement that says, we declare our belief in the resurrection of the body. That we believe as the people of God that when we die, that's not the end. That there is a resurrection to come, and that resurrection won't be a resurrection into the ether. We won't come back as sort of an unharnessed spirit who floats around somewhere uh, in a disembodied way. What that idea, in different forms and shapes, is what is often referred to as Gnosticism. And it's plagued the church forever, this idea of humanity that somehow we needed to trap, the, we get this, this trapped spirit, this beautiful part of who we are, free from this ugly part of the human flesh and body, and get it into this higher plane of spirituality. The, the scriptures don't teach us that, and so we declare in our Apostles' Creed, we believe in the resurrection of the body. That we would be raised again after this life into a bodily form. Then I see in Creed that we just um, recited together, right near the end, one of the very last lines declares that we look for the resurrection of the dead. That we have a hope of a future that has in it is marked by resurrection. Now these are the kinds of faith statements, these are the kinds of things that kind of they plague the human condition. We, we have these questions. We wonder about these things. But we also wrestle a lot of the time with a sense of certainty about them. I think part of the reason we wrestle with certainty is because none of us have been there yet. Right? It's an interesting thing to talk about with certainty and clarity. What happens after we die? Because none of us here in this room have died That makes sense? This would cause us to stand back and go, huh. And when you read 1 Corinthians 15, it would be a good question, a good exegetical question. How does Paul know? This whole chapter is talking about resurrection and this future resurrection, this bodily resurrection, and it becomes such an integral part of the hope and the faith of Christians that it's in all of our creeds. That's how sure we are of it. And we think it's important. But where does this confidence come from? Some will ask, Paul says in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? In some ways, they're starting to ask these questions that are an offshoot of the big one. What happens when I die? Some of us don't ask that question all the time or a lot. Some of you probably ask it quite often. But all of you will ask it when faced with its reality. Right? 
when life comes to an end for someone you love, or when in your own journey you touch the reality of death in a very unavoidable way. And so the world around you, all of your neighbors, all of your friends, all of your children, even if they're not presently asking the question right now, they're going to ask it. And sometimes I wonder if in our culture we don't ask it as often as might even be healthy. I think there's some reasons for that. I think that sometimes we don't go there, sit in these kind of questions, because it feels so marked by fear. Death isn't something we are really comfortable with. We, we fear it. But we also have a lack of clarity around it. And to go there then feels like, why would I go there? That's not fun. <laughs> That's not a, a life-giving conversation. That, that, that starts to kind of play. And so we avoid it altogether. We don't take our children to funerals, for example. Right? But even in our own lives, we don't consider this idea. It's one of the reasons why Ash Wednesday has become such a beautiful service for me and an important one for me because it's, it holds me, if, if not other times in the year, at least once a year, we're going to sit here and we're going to be honest about the fact that I'm going to die. And i got to think about that. And I, get, I need to think about that in a space that doesn't just propel me into fear, doesn't just propel me into anxiety, but praise God, and by the time we're done this message, I pray that it has anchored us again today firmly in the place that we can think about these things with a hope. We can think about these things with a clarity and a confidence, and I think it's part of the gift of 1 Corinthians 15. Like the Corinthians, we all have understandable questions about death. And what if anything might come after we die? But Paul seems to point to the Christian and call the church into this recognition that if death is final, if there's nothing after it, nothing worthwhile, nothing of a future or a hope, then there's really now in this moment nothing worth anything but self-indulgence. If tomorrow I die and it's the end, I might as well milk this day and this moment for everything it's worth. Right? What is, what is, the, what is the purpose of this life if this is all there is? Paul says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, this whole thing unravels. It makes no sense. He's speaking of our faith, but in a way, he's speaking of our lives. And he starts to lead into some almost Ecclesiastes-type passages, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Milk this life for everything it's worth if there's nothing after it, right? But if death is not a final end, and the resurrection of Jesus testifies to the fact that it is not, then, as G.I. Packer said, no philosophy or religion which cannot come to terms with death is of any real use to us. Any worldview, philosophy, way of coming at life that says nothing about what happens after we die is of very little value to a person if they stop to really think about it. Paul's confidence that this is not 
all there is. That when we die, we don't come to a concrete end, but there's a resurrection to follow, is grounded, his confidence rooted firmly in one place. And it's this, that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just a thought or an idea that someone pulled out one night when they were sleep deprived and it had too many nachos, right? It's not like the musings of a rabbi who just stuck his head in the holy books for too long and lost sense of reality and came out with some grand idea that seemed to kind of pull people over to his side. Paul says, no, we know there is a resurrection from the dead because we have seen and walked with and talked with and touched and experienced the presence of Jesus risen from the dead. And so even those creedal statements are at the end of the creeds on purpose. Before we declare those, we declare that on the third day he rose again. So now I can continue to talk about what I believe, one of those things being the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead. Notice Paul's confidence, this confidence in a life after death. He doesn't answer with a, people ask questions about resurrection, he doesn't answer with, how should I know? He answers with a confident assurance, there is a resurrection from the dead and you can count on it. He answers with a, a confidence anchored in, this, in Christ's resurrection and refers to that resurrection as, if you look at the text, he refers to Jesus' resurrection as a first fruits. That what's happening in Jesus means the same will happen for us and throughout his letters to the churches, Paul alludes to these ideas. We believe in the resurrection of the body because Christ was raised in the body. We, re we, we believe that after this, after this death, we will be risen and given new bodies. Why? Because Christ was risen from the dead and was given a new body. That Jesus was still in the flesh, sitting by campfires and eating fish. Right? Speaking with, being seen and heard, but being touched. I always think what a powerful moment in this conversation to think about Thomas putting his hands in the marks of Christ's sacrifice for him. That this resurrected Christ is not there, like he's not Casper the ghost. There's a dated reference. Some of you are going, who? <laughs> he was a cartoon character from my youth, but anyway. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Some may say to me, Chad, this sounds a little far-fetched, this whole resurrection idea. doesn't seem possible. It isn't but by the power of the Creator, but by the power of God. And does he have that power? Yes, he does. How do we know that? He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So we begin to look at it then. We, we, we read these things. Uh, N.T. Wright said, the risen Jesus is both the model for the Christian future body and the means 
by which it comes about. In Jesus, we see the resurrection and our hope begins to stir that that's our future too. Why? Because the one who is the example of where we're headed also is the one with the power to make it possible. Right? So praise God for Jesus. Bodily resurrection. For Paul, he uses an analogy to try and explain it a little more of a seed being sown in the earth. People are saying, well, give me the details, Paul. What's this look like? He says, well... You're thinking about it all wrong. He says, like, when you put a seed into the ground, like you take an apple seed and you put it in the ground, the seed doesn't look like an apple tree. It looks like mouse droppings. (laughs) You know? Like, it's got one form, but what comes up out of the ground is another thing. What is sown looks one way. What comes up out of the resurrection looks a different way. And he begins to talk to what this is and all anchored in what they see in Jesus in the resurrection. The perishable, he says, will be raised imperishable. So how many of you today in an acute way are aware of your mortality or your perishableness? Right? Um, I think she won't be too mad at me. We helped Adam and Alexa move yesterday. And when we got home, Jana moved around at one point. She goes, ooh. I said, you okay? She says, yeah, she's just, I just haven't worked some of these muscles in a while, right? This perishableness of like the body is getting older and creakier, and, you know? Like there's these parts of it, we're aware of it, and Paul says that seed looks one way. And it will be this Ash Wednesday reality. It will be put into the ground as mortal. You will die. We need to think on these things. Consider these realities of the temporal nature of this body, of this life. And some days our bodies and life really jump up and scream at us. And we're really aware of it. But praise God, what will be raised again will be imperishable. Wow. What is sown into the ground is sown in dishonor. But what is raised will be raised in glory. What is sown will be sown in weakness, but raised in power. What's sown into the ground is natural. What is raised is spiritual. Just as Adam was a living being, Jesus comes and brings life as a giving spirit. From dust And from the things of dust, the man of dust, sown into the ground, is raised in the things of heaven. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. Just as we have been born, as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Wow. This is gospel. Good news. It's good news for people who are dying. You could probably quote it with me now. I say it so much. But uh, Billy Graham always said, 100% of people die. It's just a reality we need to, we need to come back to over and over again. I think we, we lose track of it. And to remember it actually would shape our lives in beautiful ways. To know, though, that when we die, that's not the end, that there will be a resurrection. And that resurrection can be a triumph over sin and death, just as Jesus was. 
Do you struggle with sin? And in that way, feel like you're on this side of the Red Sea with sin and death bearing. Do you struggle with sin? Part of the promise and the hope of the resurrection is that that fight will be over. Do you grieve the effects of others' sin upon your life? The ways that trauma and brokenness and hurt have impacted your life? Do you struggle with your mental health? Do you experience the weakness and the frailty of this life and of this body? The good news of the resurrection is that in the resurrection, you will no longer fight that fight. You will no longer struggle with those things. This is the good news of the resurrection. Do you feel the effects of a dying and broken body? Does sickness, poor mental health, addiction, do these things touch your life or the lives of those you love? The good news of Jesus and the good news of his, risen, his risenness, his having rose from the dead, is that in the same way we can expect that those things can be marked and touched here and now, they will be completely set at rest, completely brought to life, resurrection life, eternally in the resurrection. Hear the gospel fresh today. Paul says, starting in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. To think that when you die, there is a moment coming on the flip side of that when your song will sound something like this. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? Whew, this good news. A Christian in the present life is a mere shadow of her future self, N.T. Wright said. Praise God. John put it this way, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. This is the confident hope of those who have received the good news of Jesus. What is sown will be raised to eternal and glorious life in Christ. Immortal bodies will be free of sin and death. The gospel passage that I read today, and you can turn to John chapter 5 if you've got Bibles with you. And I, what I read today was verse 24 to 29. 
I'll read for you again verse 24, where Jesus, this gospel passage is all Jesus' words to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Right, This picture that we've been living in over the last weeks of crossing the Red Sea, of coming from the cross through to the resurrection, of moving in our lives. He, and, but but we've got to catch here in Jesus' words, and then when you go into the next number of verses, he really starts to lay it out in some detail. But he's saying, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes... That Jesus speaks into this reality of the human condition. He speaks into the brokenness of our lives. And he, 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 he shares with us a reality. And I would, I, I would position it this way. That he's sharing with us a reality more than he is sharing with us an obstacle course. I think sometimes we can read these passages and we start to think that in order to walk into this resurrection life that we're talking about, Jesus has set up some arbitrary set of, uh, of challenges that if we can get through them, that then we get this resurrection life piece. That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is trying to do is he's shedding light on the reality of the situation. That you are standing on this side of the Red Sea with sin and death bearing down upon you and there is nothing that you can do to change that position. That there is nothing you can do to bring about resurrection life. Eternal life. Free of sin and death. There's nothing you can do to bring about this hymn, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? That's why Jesus came. That's why he took flesh and dwelt among us. It's why he went to the cross. Because he realized the reality and the effect of sin in our lives. Paul put it this way, that the wages of sin is death. That this conundrum was not a conundrum made at the hands of Jesus. This reality is not one we're in because of who God is or what he's done. It is in fact only because we broke with him. And so Jesus in this passage in John is one of a few different places in the Gospels where Jesus himself speaks to this idea of the resurrection and he wants us to understand something clearly as hard and unpalatable as it may feel for us. In the Athanasian Creed, the third creed that often is held, and as, an, as Anglicans we definitely would hold there, it's in the back of your prayer book. We don't usually recite it together because it would take almost 10 minutes. It's a little longer. But at the end of the Athanasian Creed, I showed you how in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed we talk about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead. This is how the Athanasian Creed ends. Speaking of Jesus, at whose coming... All men shall rise again with their bodies and shall give account for their own works. And they that have done good shall go into life everlasting. And they that have done evil 
into everlasting judgment. You might say to me, Chad, that's maybe one of the reasons why we don't recite that one. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is that when we hear that, we may be quick to sort of pick on Athanasius and say, well, yeah, but that was just a guy. We come back to John 5 and realize he just took these words right out of Jesus' mouth. That this is, in fact, what the Savior said to us. This is what he spoke into the reality. And he spoke it with a heart of compassion. And Jesus spoke it with a heart of unconditional, unrelenting love for all who would hear it. And he spoke it into our lives with a spirit and a heart of invitation. Jesus speaks these things into our lives saying, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent has eternal life. But make no confusion. Let there be no lack of clarity here. He who does not comes into judgment. What Jesus is teaching and what the scriptures teaches is this bodily, bodily resurrection is the future and the reality for all flesh. That for men and women, whether they're in relationship with Jesus or not, there's a resurrection of the body coming after their death. But the scriptures speak with actually a lot of clarity. Maybe not in a way that makes us comfortable, but in a way that today what I want to say to you is, calls you to attention. To say, okay, then I've got questions. Great. But to sit in this present reality, this truth of the gospel, that all will be raised in bodily form. Some to a resurrection unto life, and some to a resurrection unto judgment. There is no resurrection life apart from Jesus. That there is no eternal life apart from Jesus. No way to overcome death but by his sacrifice, but by his justice and his mercy. Death has not been defeated by any other. And so again, Philippians 3, Paul says, our citizenship as those, he's speaking to the church, those who have believed into Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That Jesus calls us today, invites us today to resurrection life today and to walk in it today. But two for us as Christians in the season of Easter this year to stop and to remember, to recognize the good news that there is an even greater gift here that marks your eternity. That doesn't only apply to the days you get in this life and on this earth, the number of which none of us know or can be guaranteed. And when we think on that, if the picture, if the thought 
stops there, it, it, it drives us into despair. It drives us into depression. It drives us into a very unsettled existence. But when in that reality we come face to face with a God of resurrection power, we come face to face, we come into an encounter with a resurrected Christ. invitation today would be this. If you haven't believed into Jesus, if your life hasn't come into relationship with, under the lordship of the risen Christ, he would invite you today to change that. I think sometimes we read it and we think, this is so unfair. We think of Jesus separating goats and sheep, these passages of these, you know, and we read it like some are in and some are out, and we get this heart of Jesus that is so, the, the, the picture of it becomes one that is very difficult to sit with. But hear the heart of Jesus today. That's not his heart. His heart and even the messages of things like John 5 and the clarity around both the promise of resurrection, but also the realities and the effect of death apart from that power is an invitation to come into relationship with the only one who has the power of life over death. So I, I, I invite you to consider. I invite you to embrace your questions to lean into Jesus. And if you've not made him Lord of your life, maybe today is the day that you would want to talk about what that looks like. If Jesus is Lord of your life, if you have believed into him, then the, the encouragement of Paul, if you keep reading through that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, is so clear. Live, walk in this resurrection life. And my encouragement to us today, and I even just want to take a moment to recognize the places where we feel, we feel the pressing nature of sin and death. We feel the mortality of this life. We feel the, the grief of loss or the frustrations and, and the, um, the weight of sickness to take a moment today and to come present to those things, to consider to, to what some of the church fathers would have called to remember death, but to in that place invite Jesus right there. To come present to the God of resurrection power, the one who's made a way that when death comes, you're not on this side of the sea, on this side of the equation, sense. But you're firmly in the place of Jesus. And that comes back to the, the prayer that we started with where Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That I might attain the resurrection life. These are, these are important prayers.
that hold us in this place with Jesus and mark our lives, especially in the hardest moments, in the places where the temporality of this life settles in in a major way. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel and the clarity of it today. We choose as a body uh, to submit ourselves today to the word of God and actually pray that by your Holy Spirit we would come into a place where we can, we can rest in and sit in the clarity of the gospel. Jesus, that you would humble us and allow us uh, to sit with our doubts, to sit with our questions, to work through our processes, but to do it in the presence of a sovereign God, who at the end of the day we declare has uh, all right to speak what is right and true into our lives. Thank you that your heart is one that invites us to grapple with some of those truths. Lord, we thank you today for the power of the resurrection. I thank you that this life is not an end. Even in this Easter season, as I sit and I think of those who I've lost in this life, what a beautiful thing to know that their future is secure. As I sit here today with friends in the body of Christ and consider not only my own mortality but theirs, praise you, Jesus, that we have a sure, confident hope in the resurrection of Christ. And today as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, we ask that by your Spirit you would draw us that as we meet with you here at the table, that in a very right and, and important way, your Holy Spirit would come and set us firmly in this truth. That Christ holds power over sin and death. That it has been defeated. You are so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our worship. And God, our hearts, they stir. Our hearts in this place, they, they burn for those in our, that you've placed in our lives. Who still stand in need of a relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that your, your heart, your invitation extends to them right now. And we pray, God, that you would help us to walk in the grace, the humility, the love of Jesus with a confident hope to love and serve, to share, to invite. God, that we would see many come into the saving grace of Jesus, into the power of the resurrection.